So yo, what's up everybody? Welcome back to Bridge to Gap. Uh, this is the Wawa end of the week where they set it up and it's an extra special edition because we are joined by a founder of end of the week, which is super exciting. Mr. Is it prolific one or propane? I'm not a thousand percent sure. You know, we're using them interchangeably. Fair um, enough. It's, it's, we'll talk about it. You know what all I mean? Right. So, Mr. Well, it says prolific one, so I'll go with that one today in this right moment. My name is Holden Stefan Roy. Joining me today is Liddy Bro Flacco. Yes, I got through it this time. Liddy Bro. And so we decided that as we start this show, we're going to start it with the little story of how it all began as told by Mr. Liddy Bro Flacco. So if you don't mind taking that away. Facts, right. So like this journey all started, right? When we was doing, I was doing the press run, right? And we got blessed enough to have the engineer from Canada, right, uh, Merker Miyagi, the homie Merker Studios, um, to have him engineer our project, right? And because he engineered the project, he promoted one of the songs because he liked the song as well, but he doesn't ever really promote the people that he works with, you know? So Holden saw that and he was like, hold on, hold your horses here. What's, what's going on? This guy's promoting this guy? So he went and he checked it out. Then he does the review on us. He does the interview. And as he does the interview, I'm realizing, like, yo, this guy's got a talent at what he does. You know what I mean? Like, he's good at his, like, process in his interview. And, like, I was like, yo, I've done nothing but interviews where I talk about hip-hop, 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 battle rap, and nothing else. Like, as if, though, I'm not a human being that doesn't have, like, a whole-ass life story. You know what I mean? And, like, to me, I was just like, yo, it felt so gratifying to have the interview with Holden. I was just like, what do you do when you a real motherfucker from New York City, right? What you do? You put all your peoples onto the shit, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And I was just like, yo, we're going to do this show together. I'm going to bring guests to the table. And we're going to do this together. And Holden has been fantastic, I think. And I think that everybody's, like, enjoying the journey because the man is really genuinely talented at what he does. I'm also just like sincerely mad curious like yo I'm from Montreal right so like just talking to people who are like a part of New York hip-hop history it's just mad like it's a gift like we don't we don't we're not able to google this kind of stuff right so for me the whole journey kind of comes from album reviews a bit so I was doing album reviews and people like yo google that shit before you talk about it and then you try to google it and there's no information about anything on google so a lot of the stories behind things is just kind of lost and uh or not lost but it's a lot more orally told but it's not really recorded and put anywhere there's a lot of nine mean kind of like people kind of sharing this common understanding that's localized to where they're from but i'm from montreal sometimes we have golden jenny from norway in here and there's a whole world of people curious to just learn a lot more so it's like a big blessing to have somebody like you especially with the knowledge and experiences you've had come through so that's kind of like it's why it's bridged the gap so we can go through your story and extract knowledge nuggets and like all of us get kind of bettered from it like every time i do this with somebody i feel like i learn enough to like evolve myself a little bit as a person which i just find is a truly big blessing for me but with that we do start with this kind of token question that we've been starting with to get the ball rolling a little bit it's a bit of a journey as i tell it so when it lands you can answer it however you want but it starts with my girlfriend and she's washing the dishes and she's bumping that black eyed piece on that i got a feeling she's like dancing around and she's vibing and i'm like yo hold on a second this song 
I remember it vividly like 10 years ago. We were in the clubs and we like bouncing around and jumping drunk as fuck partying to this song. And now, all this time later, it's that song that you would put on to go exercise and do chores to and clean up and kind of vibe around like that. Um, which got me thinking about songs and vibes and stuff and how over time music really just changes its purpose and its role in our lives. And it kind of gets attached to a journey, which also got me thinking that every single club song that you hear today is going to be some shit that kids grow up listening to as their parents clean up their apartments, including the Cardi B's and all of it. You know, a bunch of kids go into that up and it's up. It's going to be the future of growing up kids. I digress. If we think about our own musical journeys and stuff, right? Usually we start talking about it when we can remember it and we start carrying it in our adolescence or whenever it kicks in for us. But the fact is, if you think about the musics and the vibes and the times, it really goes all the way back for us way before we even necessarily start caring. When we're like really young, like four or five years old, there's a whole bunch of vibes and sounds and different things that are, are taking place in the environment. Like I can remember my dad is bumping these Led Zeppelin tapes through those gray boxes hooked up to the speakers. And we had the tape deck in the car and we were playing some Krista Berg there. My mom's had this disc goes and completely other vibes and sounds so depending on who was in control different things expose me all this time later it totally impacts who i am as a person so i wondered if you could bring us back to like being like five years old and what a, a prolific one would have been hearing in the environments and the experiences of all of that and also if you could let us know a little bit where you're from yeah yeah that's real um the music the music has resonance right and i do believe that 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 even hits you from womb, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in utero, you actually absorbing these sonics and these vibrations. And so um, that said, the boys from the Lower East Side, New York City, you know what I mean? Born in Bellevue, really, really from there. Then I went south about 20 blocks to Baruch Public Housing Projects, 90 Columbia Street, um, and lived with grandma and grandpa and my mom's. Um, two-bedroom apartment you know uh, it's kind of cliche when, when i start to talk about it and say it out loud you feel me um in terms of being like the urban narrative of a rapper coming up being born in public housing during you know late late 70s into the 80s type it's, it's almost like too like textbook right but it's definitely real it's definitely true uh my father was a, a promoter a pretty big and substantial promoter in the New York City nightclub scene. Uh, Mom Dukes was disco queen, you know what I'm saying? You talk about Southside clubs, you talk about Studio 54, you talk about the hustle. Uh, there's legendary photos of Mom Dukes in fly gowns, eight to nine months pregnant, hitting the club and going out dancing. You know, there's, there's legendary tales, you know, through my aunts and, and kind of my family of my mother being like, yeah, I know I'm seven, I'm eight months, I'm nine months, but I need to go out dancing, right? And so to your point, I would say that the soul, um, the the disco, the funk era, and the Latin mambo, uh, dance salsa, Fania Gran Combo era, uh, this fusion of Latin music and soul music is born into me, is embedded in me from even before I could speak, right? And even on one of my new records, it's like, I'm saying even the amniotic fluid that I was bubbling in was those sonic vibrations coming through. You know what I mean? That movement my mom's is doing, dancing out on the floor and all that. You know, that's I'm channeling that even now uh, as a grown man, but it's in my it's, it's in my DNA, but it's also 
in my nature. You know what I mean? It's something that's embedded in me. So like my earliest memories of music are, you know, it's eight, eight in the morning, Saturday, and the music is blasting because we don't do halfway. You know, when, when you come up in a Puerto Rican household and a Latin household, the music is always loud, it's always dumping, um, and it's definitely high pace, high energy, big horns, crazy drums, you know, it, it's conga, it's mambo, it's shoulder shaking, it's hips moving, gyrating, it's soul music, you know what I mean? And so, like, when I think about coming up, I think about, you know, parties in the house till, you know, the sun comes out, people dancing all night long, drinking, being loud, opening the door on the projects, police knocking on the door, but every neighbor's in the house partying too, you know what I mean? So uh, it's definitely a, a community music vibe. It's a soul vibe. Um, and then on, the, you know, as I said, my father was a promoter and he worked in, in urban music and did a lot of early promotion back in the day was hustling, you know, the Red Parrot, you know, clubs like this, doing boat parties and things like this. So there's also this whole, like, soul, um, you know, heavy, like, dance music vibration that also came across in my life. And music has always been in the in the fabric of my household. You know, even right now, I'm sure it was Saturday and we pull up on 6th Street in, in Alphabet City and we cruise by the, the building First of all, the flag, the banderas flagging out front on the window. The windows is definitely open. And my mom has definitely got some form of new salsa playing, uh, you know, some kind of like either old school Oscar de Leon, um, you know, some Hector Lavoe playing. And that was the whole vibe that I was brought up. Like I came, I came into a party. In fact, I was grown into dance and party and good vibrations and high spirits and joy and love you know what i mean so for me that's what the music represents that's the music that i came into you know, it's heavy latin music but there's also like you know so love baby making music too you know and my grandparents listening to la lupe and, and like all these old like slow bolero records you know and that's what usually came on after 3 a.m when everybody was tanked and trying to get biz so it's this interesting balance of of latin music heavy you know culture vibe and and also like old school soul black good vibe funk you know vibration um and that's what i came up on you know Done. All right, so check yeah. it. I, I just got it. There was a few things that was that my I saw. <clears throat> yeah, because it was a lot. Yeah, no, it was one of the best answers to that question I have gotten. Super best ever because it was so. Wow, you you just got to get that compliment there at the jump. I can I as a fellow New Yorker can follow one hundred percent of every single word and sentiment that he was sharing with us, right? Yeah. But I'm afraid that a few of the things that you said, right, might not yeah. be understood by people who don't know New York City culture or Latin culture, right? So can you can you explain to people all those um when you when you listed off and rattled off all those um, yeah. uh 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 forms of music, right? Even like when you say Fania, like I know Fania, right? Yeah. Like I think that it's important for you to like no explain to people. You said a what la lupa, really and I'm is. like, I don't know what a la lupa la is, lupe, but I'm la lupe. la lupe. I'm rolling with it because yeah. the story is real All good. Right. 
no context, but I can Google it after it was in my head. So so let so let we'll start we'll start from you know the islands, right? The Caribbean, right? You have this mass exodus of Puerto Ricans leaving the island in the nineteen forties and fifties. You have um Cubans coming up into South Florida and then up to New York City. And they're moving into these ghettos, right? They're, they're moving into impoverished neighborhoods that they can afford to live in. Uh, these are working class people, but these are also uh, career musicians coming from their own islands, coming from living a farm life or a poor life where uh, they would play campesino music. Campesino music is like folktale music, right? Um, where they would play the cuatro. The cuatro is a, a specific type of guitar. It's like a small form factor mm. guitar, and it's a, it's a very unique um, sound. It's almost similar. In, uh, a person who wouldn't know would see it and maybe think like, oh, it's a little bit of bigger ukulele. And it's like, no, right. it's not a bigger ukulele. Right. But yes, technically speaking, you are right. It, it would be a little bit bigger than a ukulele, but... It's not right. a ukulele, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, so, so you have them coming. You have them coming up uh, from these islands. A lot of them are coming into the military, right? They're going out into PR and they're drafting these men to come into the military to fight for the United States. Um, you know, during the World War, uh, during the various conflicts that they're having, because as as you may or may not know, uh, Puerto Rico uh, is a commonwealth of. Yeah the United States and there's a, a sort of history that we could get into in terms of like El Borinquen and like the independence of our island and like the long battle for us to to kind of break the colonial chain but I, I won't I won't delve too crazy in there I will talk about this musical journey and how these people come from farms singing songs about their cow or the woman that they lost or like what it's like to like get up and farm the land and these are kind of our folk tales and, and our folk music right and, and they come to America and there's this jazz movement happening, right? With black jazz musicians. Um, a very similar thing is happening with the Cuban community coming into to New York City at that time as well. Um, and there's this kind of big band sound at the time, right? This is, you know, the, the 50s ever where everything was big bag, um, Cab Calloway, you know, and, and there's a gentleman by the name of Machito. Machito is a black African Cuban um, Spanish-speaking man who comes into New York City and he puts together the first big band Latin orchestra, right? So they're taking this big band sound and they're taking this peasant, almost farm music and they're, they're blending the jazz and all of this, this, what we would call, it's like a sancocho, it's like a pot, a melting pot. We're showing in like these different sounds. Gumbo, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like makes sense. Any, any soup that has a lot of Ingredients Different ingredients in it, which is what all impoverished people usually would always make their right. You throw your scraps meals together. that you could feed many with. Fact. So Machito becomes kind of the gold standard in terms of fusing this music together, this this folk music, this jazz music, and creating this new sound. Right. This new sound that is about it's about dancing. It's about getting cleaned up in your best and coming out to the concert hall because that's what they had at the time in new york city and and bringing these latin communities together but also bringing some of that african and, and black community together under this new music form um 
you know, I can't say that there weren't white people involved. It was about the music and the rhythm. This was right. a new sound that came up, this mambo sound, right? And this mambo sound was based on the clave, right? And the clave, the rhythm of the clave is like, pa, 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 pa. And that becomes the found, the metronome, the foundational rhythm that, that we build this, this mambo, which eventually becomes the salsa culture of New York City that then goes global, right? Uh, and when I say that, I mean, you go to Senegal right now and there's bands that are playing salsa music, Latin mambo music, that's derivative of New York and Cuba and the Puerto Ricans, and now are doing it in African, right? Because there's this Yoruban drum, conga undertone in all of our music. So we take this conga, this African drum, and we fuse that with the horns. We fuse that with the big band, um, you know, violins, the piano, um, and, and, and you get this, this beautiful, one-of-a-kind, unique, soulful cultural movement coming out of New York City in the 1970s, 60s, um, into, you know, 80s, that is its own culture, you know, and, and my family, my aunts, my three aunts were lucky enough to be New Yorkers, young, into the music at this time, and so they're fully immersed in this sound. And so when I talk about that sound and that dance rhythm and that party, it's based on that mambo salsa, right? And there becomes a premier label that comes out of, you know, all of these different concert halls. And that label is Fania, F-A-N-I-A. And the Fania All-Stars become kind of like the premier band. This is after Machito, right? There's other people that come in. There's Ruben Blades, there's Eddie Palmieri, there's Larry Harlow, um, there's Tito Puente. The Celia Cruz, all of these people are on this one label. So it's like you have all of the top musicians in this musical genre on the same label, and they're working together to create bodies of music that are still celebrated today. Like almost they're, they're like a Spotify on steroids. Fact. That that's that's a hundred percent facts. And then you get what we call our soneros, right? Our soneros are our singers, right? But our singers are, they're freestyle artists as well, right? So they're, they're talking about their pains, their woes, their strife, the strife of being a working class person. And, and, and they're singing and they're writing songs, but they will also get on stage and in the middle of the song, the beat breaks and they'll hit a whole freestyle. And they'll be like, ah, mommy in the front row, da 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 and, and this, you know, vibration and this frequency is like the chain that I feel connected to um, and that I, I try to make sure is present in everything that I do. Um, and, and part of, like I said, my DNA, yes, but also the way that I was nurtured and raised because there's a difference between you know, like nature and nurture, right? And yeah. so, um, so Fania is this premier label. Um, you know, every concert that they have, you know, my mom is going with her sisters. They're coming home with with the vinyl, the vinyl's coming out in local mom and pop shops in Harlem and the Lower East Side and the Bronx and all of these different urban areas where the folks that support this musical genre are living. Um, and that takes off into a worldwide movement, um, as I said earlier. And so, like, when I came out the womb, you know, that's what was bumping, you know, on the record player, right? Because we were doing vinyls, you know what I'm saying? So that said, that's my mom's generation. Her mother, right, grandma, my grandfather, 
are into the old school version of that, which are called boleros. Boleros are, um, help me out, Flock. Slow They're jams? Like basically, slow jams? Slow jams, yeah. I was going to say slow jams, where it's basically super ballads. It's ballads, ballads, yes. Boleros sad, are like ballads. Usually sad. Somebody Very left sad you. About love. You're alone. And big, big, big vocals. Big vocals. Of, of you know, Huge sadness. vocals. Sadness, yes. So like that, you know, I'll tell you, the new album in the red is coming, right? So that that sound of like, yo, we're going we gonna to cry a little tonight, That that's built in. You know what I mean? By default. So like you have my mom's generation, her parents are there, right? The cousins, the cousins from Conerico. You know, everybody's pulling up on the house and we're listening to these two generations of music. Whereas we did the salsa, we did the mambo, we did the high tempo. And by the end of the night, they want to hear the saddest song where they could dance slowly cheek to cheek and feel kind of this this blue low kind of sexy sadness you know what yeah i mean and, and that's la lupe is the premier artist you know or one of the premier artists of that era of that genre of these slow jams and um she's a queen like i, I would i would ask everybody who wants to get said, on the vibe i appreciate yeah. that you said sexy sadness bro because you know what, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have described it like that when I was younger, and right. and and unaware, right? And I probably might not have thought to describe it like that mm-hmm. right now. But it's right. important that you do describe it like that because yeah. that's what it was essentially to our parents' parents. Right? They, like we might look, I might have looked at it like sadness, but like to them, that's not what it was. It was a Correct. sexy sadness, and you're absolutely right. The cheek to cheek is a super like they still do it. Like when 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 I see them in their most you know private, intimate you know uh, dance, it's very intimate. It's still cheek to cheek, and 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 it's literally almost like you could tell that they they feel the palpitations of each other's hearts. They're so Fact. close by, and it so, is, and and yeah. so it is a sexy sadness. It, and it cre- and it's like it's a, like allowing yourself to be vulnerable. With the people that you love and as expressive as you can about your true your truest self, which is your sadness, right? Which people don't always bear and aren't always honest and like truthful about. But there's something very beautiful about that too. So when you see your grandparents embracing and listening to a song that might be construed as sad, but they're finding love in that sadness, you know, is is something that's palpable and it's heavy. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was a lot of beautiful like everything you're saying so like knowledge man, filled so and poetic Miguel, at the same time i'm like the fuck can i say here just let him go big facts yo big facts <laughs> just, just like let me tell you something holding this is this is why like i'd be like i'm like i feel very like uh uh just like blessed as a human being you know what i mean like this is this is what i have around me you know like these type of people so it's just like this like how can you not be great when you have nothing but greatness around you See, but we attract likeness, right? And mm-hmm. so everybody in our cipher is great. And that's the beauty of the dub. And it's one of the things that I don't, it's like, you can't plan that, right? You can't mm-hmm. know you're doing it when you, when it's doing. Uh, that is something that's bigger than all of us. And people call it a lot of different things, right? They call it God. They call it the universe. They call it Ja. They call it Jason. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, it's love and it's a vibration. And, and it's a thing that echoes throughout the universe that you can't quantify or anything, you know what I mean? And it happens naturally and like attracts like. And so if you have that within you and that's what you're emanating, 
that's what that's what kind of you're gonna bring to you right yeah i appreciate that for us but still like we're like like 20 something minutes in and we we still on that first question because yo that history lesson that you gave there first of all like anytime you ever wanted to talk about the the current situation in puerto rico i'm not fascinated because like yo it's it's a weird situation i start looking into it i'm like Mm -hmm. like, i mean um, we should do that I mean, we, we should definitely and it's not just puerto rico right um like when you look at you, you look at globalization and colonization and you look at indigenous people and you look at where we've been positioned through a um a worldwide economy and a quest to conquer um there's a lot to be said there but i don't i don't want to go too deep no, yeah that's a whole that's a whole special yeah, whole nother three hours by itself which is just yeah. like it sounds great like honestly just the way you describe things makes it really digestible which is really appreciated um but yeah back to you and your place and all of this mm-hmm. um so yeah. you're, let's say you're like, so that's where i came in right i came that, in that's what you wanted 78 like that's you know it. We're still in the whoop. Like he's just popped out and all of that was right. 20... he just popped out to this this you is know what he saying? popped out to you know? I came out analog, you know what I'm saying? And I slowly evolved to digital, but I always retain roots in the analog world because it's important that we're grounded. Dang, that is so That's beautiful. Wonderful. All right, so when you're like a little young one, are you involved mm-hmm. in music in any way or are you like just a fan of it that you're surrounded by? You know, it's, it, it's music, right? First, dancing, right? I think you play music for any baby and you play the right beat, and the baby move. That's a fact. Any color, any nationality from any place on the planet, they have no inhibitions. They have no preconceived thoughts about what they should do or not do. And so if you play the right vibration and the right tone for them, they move. And so for me, it's dance, right? It's mom's playing that music. I'm in the house, she's cleaning, she's dancing. I'm watching, I'm learning, I'm moving, I'm dancing, I'm gyrating, we're vibrating. And that comes even before I learned that I had a gift for words. You know what I mean? Is that you have a gift for movement. And and, um, and so, like, yeah, you know, it was dancing first in the house with moms. You know, um, this is pre-hip-hop, you know, so to speak, before I was really uh, introduced to, to rap and hip-hop by my older cousin, who was, like, you know, eight or nine years older than me and into graffiti and had a name belt buckle and had fat laces and spray cans in his bedroom and a fucking boom box and all the spike bracelets and all this fly shit that I'm just like enamored by off rip, you know, um, at a young impressionable age and like him showing me a pilot marker and like how to, you know, get up and like what it's like outside because you ain't outside. If you live in my household, my mom's is like, she always told us like the street's not going to raise you. Mm. You know, we might live where we live and we might be in the environment and circumstance that we're in, but you're going to be raised in the house and you're going to learn right from wrong in this house because that's always going to be out there. And what that out there has to present and offer to you is not is not cypher, you know. So work. Dance. So you start dancing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I start dancing. I get Puff, my windbreaker. Puff, I get my Puff, eyes out. He'd be so happy to hear this right now. Puff yeah. Daddy would hear this shit and he'd be like, "Dance, baby, dance, dance." And honestly, yeah. like, uh, so I got a record called Soul Movement on a new album. I think we played it before, but like, 
for like I said, for me, dance is like the most intrinsic thing for a human being. It's the way we communicate, nonverbal communication, right? It's like eyes, body movement, right? And I could have a whole dialogue with you and we don't even have to speak words. There's rhythm, there's energy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it's an exchange of vibration um, that supersedes language or is language. You know what I'm saying? So I get I get that that first windbreaker, that Izod, the red joint. I know my mom's got pictures of that shit somewhere off rip. And and I'm, and, I'm and you got pictures of me early, like I'm I'm, I'm here. Um but you know, I would be remiss to not say that, like I, like I said, my father was heavily involved in in promoting and still in the scene. You know, I went to Fresh Fest when I was like seven years old in a what limousine is, uh, and was Fresh backstage. Fest. Fresh Fest was like the biggest hip hop concert, the first rap concert in New York City at Madison Square Garden. Okay. Right. So you talk about Salt and Pepper, Run DMC, LL Cool J, everybody on the Def Jam label. I believe that's Houdini. the same show that Zoo mentioned. I believe. Yeah. Zoo, and Zoo I think Zoo went with his sister, too. right? And Zoo's a couple oh, okay, years older okay. than me. You know what I mean? But my father was actually one of the promoters of that concert, right? So I even got to go to like rehearsals um, for that and like meet like um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, young, young Andre Harrell. You know, that back in the day, um, you know, Houdini, uh, this is I, and, and I, I like I have, you know, you have these memories that are fleeting and they're they're broken and they're kind of like pieces. And I could like remember when Run broke his leg, you know what I'm saying? And, and he's on the stage rehearsing and the cast and shit like that. You know what I mean? That I wasn't old enough to really retain the full breadth of the memory. But these are like young impressions that last, you know, and stuck to me, you know, and meeting these different people that, oh, this is salt and pepper, you know, and being backstage and like having a T-shirt. I wish I fucking had that shirt signed by everybody. You know what I'm saying? Meeting LL, who's like God to me at that time. You know what I mean? And, and, and like, so all of this goes into like Young Pro, you know what I'm saying? So we fast forward in from like out the womb to dancing in the house to cousin like putting me onto some game to like my dad whenever he got around to it picking me up and taking me uptown to Harlem to his store and like like meeting titans of the industry and titans of our culture before they even were that you know what I'm saying where they're teenage kids that are like you know our idols um people that everybody looked up to and to me they're like oh who's that oh okay you know what I mean so yeah like fond memories you know positive shit um, but, but definitely all things that have kind of grown and kind of seeds that have been planted in my mind to bring me to where we are today. You know, those are huge memories. You just, yeah, bro. your dad got you to meet like all the people that are like, you read blogs about like the hottest hots of 1985 type thing. Um, Fact. and you got to go backstage and see broken legged, whichever one it was. Like, I, yeah. that was a lot. That was so cool. Like, that's cool. Red one. Yeah, bro, red leg. one. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is like my, this is like when my Adidas is out. You know what I'm saying? This is like when Cats is wearing Lottos and you got to have every color, you know, patch to change the color out on your Lotto to match your outfit, you know? And, and I'm, and I'm, I'm a little peewee. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, and I'm dude's son. You know what I'm saying? Oh, the guy, you know, who sold X amount of tickets and promoted it. You know what I'm so like, there's a certain like element of, of um, prestige and like um, 
flyness that I felt like being there and you were, part of that. You, 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 know? you were privileged. You were privileged. I was definitely in a way, privileged. And, that, and that's that's a that's a beautiful blessing. And then All I go right right back to blessing. to the projects. Right? It's like yo. I'm the G. I'm I'm Emmanuel Lewis for the night. I'm Webster in the back of the the limo, and then the next day I'm the kid on the seventh floor. You know what I'm saying? Who need to go get a haircut? So, listen. Yo, that's like, I, yeah. I seen. I live both sides of it. That's like a huge juxtaposition of realities for a little one not to process. There are not it's a lot a of people thing. who really, really have to live that kind of life. Yo, that could, it's a fact. That's probably why you're so empathetic. Because you've seen a lot of things yeah. a lot of people haven't seen. I respect that a lot. That's a fact, bro. Like, um, I, I, I could, like, the bottom resonates with me. Mm. So it don't matter, like, where I go or get. I still, like, I still go back to the block. I still pull the car over and I want to walk through the peas. I want to get in the elevator. You know what I'm saying? I want to, like, I could walk the stairs. I, I, I don't know if you're, if you're opposed against it, right? But, like. Uh, uh, when when we just finished celebrating the homie's last birthday, we did that right of yeah. cup what a block away from your hood or yeah. two. Like, yeah, that, that, we was in the hood. LES. Yeah. LES, you know, huh? like you got to stay connected to the soil in order to be able to like really move the way that I think that in our heart of hearts we always wanted to remain moving. Mm. And I got to be honest about who I am too, irregardless of of where I might you know aspire to go eventually right but even and so like and 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 the kids need to see a nigga like pull up on the block and and be like yo he's regular you know what i'm saying i mean that's really huge but it's also just like it's so cool to hear your story behind it all right like however long it takes however much detail to me it's like hearing you describe all this stuff like the context and layering that gets added it explains a lot of stuff like the realities that go into the music like when you listen yeah. to bars and you hear rappers describing stuff, if you don't understand what it's like to maybe grow up in New York in that time at all, then you have no fucking idea what anything is when you're listening to it. It's just sounds. So it's like, I think that's the real blessing of this is like even hearing how you describe the reality of these parties till three in the morning. Like I'm just saying, yo, like if I'm a kid yo, and, and yo, everything is that loud. I'm talking stuff, like five, six in the morning. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, nah. like you want to hang out till you pass out, bro. You know what I mean? That and when you're like, ready, go in the room, close the door, sleep on the coats. Fact. I just definitely know that that was the eyes, uh, not what my life was like. It was a lot quieter with a lot less partying until five in the morning. So it's just like hearing that, right? Like it's it's like, okay, it explains certain energies more because that's what people grew up in. Having the same clothes on for days, serious, serious. That's yeah. like man, even the partying in that era must have been like such an. It experience. was different. I'm talking about the no seatbelts era, and and yeah, nobody no tried to nobody yeah. tried to run with that shit. Yo, I said it. I'm talking about the no seatbelt era. You be with your seven cousins in the backseat of the Whoop Rock, like this. We're gonna get to the beach. We're gonna get to Coney Island, and homie in the front, he got like a six pack. He's smoking a bogey on you, and you're gonna you. you're gonna wear that. On you, you on you, all, on you. I, I think back to my, my uncle and like the shit that he would do around me, and I'm just like, oh my god, like, I really thought that he was rolling cigarettes. Yeah, I flagrant. I he was rolling cigarettes, damn it. Flagrant. <laughs> this is before child services was the number one jokers out here type shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Not, no disrespect, but like, you, you had to like mm, survive. 
first. Yeah, nah, it was different. It was different. It was especially in New York City back in those days, right? We're talking about uh, the crack era taking like a, a serious hold of the city, and just the way that the. I always tell people when you see warriors, that's really what New York City was like at one point. Hundred like, percent. People, people used to dead like the gangs were not afraid of the cops at all. The cops were afraid of the gangs, and and you and people would assault cops all the time and get yeah, away. They didn't want smoke. They didn't want smoke. They, like regular. And, 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 it, and it like you talk about the crack. Like I came, I came through like the the dope, the heroin era, right into the crack, right. So when you talk about my neighborhood, Alphabet City, Lower East Side, like everything from Avenue A to Avenue D, where I lived, was a spot. Every block, every corner, you could pick up some smack, you could get a rock, you could get anything, and you know it was eighty percent, you know, abandoned buildings, rubble. Yep. And then everything else was a squatter's building, right? So the running water comes from the pump outside and you run the hose upstairs through the joint and that's how you was getting washed, you know? Um, When you go outside and play, there's needles, there's crack vials, there's niggas dead literally when you walk out your door in your building. And this is why Pro don't do the white stuff and he don't do the craziness because I seen mega bodies. And that was my anti-drug. You know what I'm saying? Was it was the fiend on my block who I seen underneath a car poking with a stick for three hours trying to pick up little white things hoping he could find a rock or looking for something he never lost. And so, like, people be like, oh, you're not going to party? No, I'm not going to fucking party, though. I'll, I'll put up what I'm going to put up, but there's a limit for me because I understand, like, substance abuse. And I've I seen in my own family people die from substance abuse generationally right the father the son the grandson you feel me institutionalization where you get incarcerated with your pops you know what i mean and so like their generational curses until somebody figures out like yo i need to crack the code and i can't do what they do you know what i mean so like when i say like fiends is my anti-drug like I will call names, but I don't want to disrespect nobody, but they know who they are. They my anti. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then when the, you know, and then you see on the on the other side of it, you see the biggest dealers on the block and they got everything. They got a whole floor in the building smashed out. You know what I'm saying? They got everybody's little sister huh, 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 strung out on womp womp in and out of the crib. You know what I'm saying? Doing whatever. They got all your mans and them either looking out, either holding something, moving something. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a business. You feel me? Like the street side of it is also a business, and I done seen all that. And so, like that is, like, that's the shit that keeps me sober and in my right mind and like focused on like, oh, being over here with this. Um, and and I, I don't think the kids nowadays really understand that because it's all virtualized and shit like that. It's not tangible, right? You're not having to walk out your door and step over them bodies and stuff, or at least it's, in, it's not as prevalent as it was at one time when they were just like, we're going to abandon y'all to live over there and y'all going to just have to make do. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, like Flock said. I think it's a, it's a, what you call it, because I look at like my area of the Bronx and it's happening again, you know? And like people are like literally like 
was like sticking needles in their arms. They strung out again. Right Dope next back. to this 149th Street and 3rd Avenue train station, which is like a major hub in the Bronx. Like yeah. in the morning at like 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning, like right there in 2021. So it's just like, I think that it's just a matter of like, probably like, depends this, on who, right? Like, if you were a kid in the Bronx in 2021, you're right, getting the right, same right. fucked up lesson that You're getting the same education. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but, yeah. you know, we also move in cycles, right? So there's, there's no difference than what maybe kids in the in the 60s and the seven, early 70s was feeling on the block too, right? And it's unfortunate that we as a society and as, you know, human beings, we can't learn and stand on the shoulders of our mistakes and evolve but we just we will evolve up and then we'll regress and, and it's like this constant cycle of things you know and, and um so we you know i'm just out here trying to break break brains out of the cycle you know what i'm saying trying to like be the red pill fact but it explains why Facts. you're so passionate about it and that's what i really like about it like everything you described is really really serious it is there's not a lot of people that really, I think, especially in my age group or younger, really went through that, like to any kind of the degree. That's and a it, fact. And it gets scaled back to at least, because you're at least in Montreal, like they hide it, right? Like they created safe places mm -hmm. and they, they made sure that you can't see it. Like whether it still happens to what degree, I don't know, but they definitely I like made efforts so that you don't ever encounter it like that in public no more. So none of us really see it like that. Unless you're happening to yeah, be in course, that one part of town, you know? And, and that's the thing about New York City, right? And it's like, but you can get on the subway and go two stops and land on Park Avenue and these motherfuckers got doormen. You know what I'm saying? Every building is pearly yeah. white. And it's, at the yeah. same time, in parallel with the shit I'm telling you, is like, yeah. there's people living their best lives. They go mm -hmm. into the, to, to Long Island, out to Long Beach on the weekend and the Hamptons and all that, and they could get out. And come back to the doorman building and owning a brownstone and all this fly shit because it's, it's ultimately it's always about bread and the haves and the have-nots. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And so like they're gonna let us just just you know crumble full and and, and fall you know on our swords and, and on our drugs and, and on on whatever it is the substances are that they pumping into the communities. You know, and so it is dead real, Stefan. You know what I mean? Because like I said. I'm one, I'm one of the few dudes that I know that I used to ride bike with and play baseball with and all that. I was able to buy a house that's mm -hmm. able to like take my son on a road trip and able to spend quality time with my kids and be like, yeah, we can go out to dinner and I could, I could buy you whatever you want. You know what I mean? Right. And, and like I said, that's because my mom said she's going to raise me in the house. And that happened with the stick, not the carrot, my dude. That's mm -hmm. a fact. Fair enough. So I guess that's a really huge environmental context for you being young. You're at home, you're learning to dance. Um, and yeah, your dad brings you and exposes you to all the hip hop or your cousin, sorry, exposes you to it, which leads to your dad bringing you to it in like a scale that is pretty unimaginable for someone like me. And then uh, at what point, like, are you, do you kind of get more interested in actually pursuing it? Is this something that comes later in life or are you like kind of a fan for a while? You know, um, the pen, I picked it up early, like elementary school, poetry, right? Different contest in class, write a poem about this, that, or the third. And it just came out of me, bro. It's not a thing that I like, 
had to sit and think about and be like, oh, how am I going to make words rhyme or how am I going to do this assignment? Mm. So, like, again, like, Mom Duke, so she probably got files somewhere. She'll pull out some, like, joints that I wrote in, like, third, fourth grade that are just, you know, poems and what have you. But um, it, the, the, the rhyming aspect of it and the rapping component and, like, barring up, I want to say that happens, like, junior high school for me. You know what I mean? Like, because honestly, like, I was into vandalizing shit first, right? Like, I went from dancing to, like, yo, let's go steal paint and let's go tag up because that was, like, the big so you, thing you were on the block. Hell yeah. Crazy. Tell, tell, like, so it's crazy. Like, ele- like, 11, 12 years old, like, man, listen. Single moms, I commend y'all because y'all got to work. You got to put that dinner on the table. <laughs> you got to you gotta do 100 things. And when, when your kid is left to his own devices, he going to find ways to occupy that time. And for me, like I said, I, I got introduced to the pilot marker. I got introduced to, like, getting up. You know, I think I used to write Z-A-Z-E, Zays or something like that. Because I remember getting the instructions, like, yo, it got to be four letters. You got to be able to write it fast. And you got to be able to just try to get first all over your building, all over your neighborhood, subway lines you know what i'm saying and so like you know me and my boys would go to the stationary store and steal markers and like just go around doing our peewee tagging right and like that's how we would spend our time we had you know bmx bikes everybody in the hood knows when you was at that age you had a bmx bike with pegs on it or your man had the bike and one of y'all would be on the back with the pegs and the other dude would be riding the bike um, or you'd be on the handlebars, and that's how we got it around, Brody. Like, we would ride around on our BMXs, and, like, in, in my hood, in LES, it was definitely separated. Like, there was parts of the block where, like, the guys from, from the avenue, they don't go to the hill because there's beef over whatever, whatever. The dudes from the hill, they maybe don't go to the to Smith Projects because there's, you know, whatever, whatever. If you lived in, you know, Alphabet City, 12th Street, whatever, compost housing, you don't go to, like, uh, Delancey Street because the DSB Delancey Street boys will beat your ass. And this is when violence was different. Like, and I think this is important, too. It's easy to cap off and, and like, shoot people. I come from an era, like, where, like, you will get beat up, stabbed, cut, hit with a bottle. Like, you would maybe not die. But you will really get fucked up bad, bro. And, like, yeah. everybody that I know, if you was in a crew, A, you needed safety. So you had a crew, and it was mostly the dudes from your block that were local to you. So that when you get on the bus and you got to go shopping to get some sneakers on Delancey, we going six deep, and you got the knife, uh, you got the razor, you got the bat, you got the canes. Oh, canes was big, too. Like, we didn't need canes when we was 12 years old, but we had canes, Brody. You know what I'm saying? This is when you could go to, like, the Chinatown spot and get ninja stars, nunchucks with spikes, brass knuckle rings. And, like, we was putting that shit to use, right? And it would be about, maybe it was about a tag and somebody crossed out your tag and they was buffing you and they was putting their own shit over you. And, like, you got to fight behind that. That's a respect thing, Brody. And, like, you can't just, like, keep buffing me and not think that I'm not going to find you on the block or catch you on the wrong side of Houston Street one day and fucking bust you in the knee and hit you with a bottle and beat you up. 
because it was just a different kind of violence. It was more um, hands-on. Like, you had to get up close on your op. You couldn't be across the street or riding yeah, by. It wasn't, there wasn't like, a lot of shooting back then. It was yeah. mostly... It was mostly like if it honestly it was a lot of stabbing, you know. Yeah. So it's like, yo, you and stabbing is one of those like, yo, you're that's a very like it's a gruesome thing. crime. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's gruesome and it's personal, you know. Like I seen I seen dudes get banked with a hammer. You know what I'm saying? Like boom. Yeah, yeah. They that hammer to the head. Your head bleeds a lot, that, King. Done. Like, like so, like I had early experiences with like being involved in and seeing violence and, and having like that kind of violence around me and like honestly it makes you more reserved with your violence too right because like once you cross that line to like yo it's on site and it's tos and if i see you it's terminate on site kid and your crew and my crew like like we going at it for real for real you could be with your moms coming out the building and if an op sees you, they're going to roll up on you and hit you with something or, or like, punch your mom in the face. Like, it's a different psychology. It's almost like prison when you live in, in these kinds of hoods. You know what I mean? It is like that. It is like being incarcerated. You know, institutionalization at a very young age, you learn, like, words is words, Brody. But, like, like we, there's going to be action behind it. Like, dudes, like, corner you. They put the, they put the razor on your face. You know what I'm saying? That orange click razor and it's rusty and, and you're trying to give somebody gangrene and make sure that they get a big womp on their face. You're giving people yep. keloids behind it. And that didn't okay. stop when I was like 12. That like nah. kept going all the way to like the tunnel to like club exit to like speed. I mean, when you think about like... it, when you think <laughs> about it, bro, when you think about it, you know, like it's unfortunate to say and like not, not in particular, but like the Justice for Junior kid, it's the same exact type of thing. It's just another level, right? And yeah. it's like I remember that when like the like the Dominican influx came to New York City, like they played with machetes heavy from jump oh, bro. in the 90s. You know what I mean? Facts. In the middle of the 90s. So like when I saw the Justice for Junior thing, I was like, yeah, that's not no that's not no new thing to the Bronx. You know nah, what I mean? Bro. Like I seen nah. that action before. So like, yeah, it's it that that's how it always used to be though. You know, like like dudes dudes would wear a buck fifty, a scarf from your ear to your chin. Almost with pride, like, and, and if you've seen the dude, that means he either went to Spotford, and Spotford was a juvenile detention facility where, like, a lot of my homies started their career in, like, real crime. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you, you 11, 12, they try to put you in a halfway or they try to foster you or something like that, and you keep being a repeat. They send you up to Spotford, and they used to call it camp. And once you go to camp, that's when you, like, you might be 14, and you're in there with 16, 17-year-olds, and like those are damn near grown men, and they prime and seasoned, and you gotta be ready for action at a different level. You know what I mean? And so like, like, like dudes acting tough and like talking crazy on records and like making all these sound effects and all this stuff is like, all right, bro. But has anybody ever hit you in the ribs with a bat or like hit you with a golf club in your head? You know what I mean? Like it would change the way you view violence and the way you conduct yourself. You know what I mean? Mm. Sometimes almost, I don't, I don't want to say that. We're going to leave that there. We're going to leave it right there. I appreciate everything you're saying still. It's like. Sorry. I was going on a tirade. My bad. No, but like, 
It's called bridge the gap, right? That's what we do. We bridge gaps. Not everybody's willing to say the kinds of things you're saying or to express it the way that you're you're expressing it because it's probably painful. It's a hundred. But it's, like, it's a hundred, bro. It's a hundred. But it even explains why people say shit like we roll X number of people deep. Like I never really thought that you might actually need bro. that just to go to the store. Yes. <laughs> Yo, you definitely gotta roll at least three. At least three. Cause if you get into something, you got to be able to back to, or two, you got to be able to back to back when they try to jump you, right? And what does that mean? That means that me and Flock is walking down the block, and and, and five dudes come around the corner and they want to set it on us, and yeah. me and Flock are gonna have to stand back to back, and we're gonna have to fight till one of us falls down, or we can mm-hmm. open it up enough to like make that that make run that move. Move. Yep, move and hop yeah. that train. And, yeah. and like hope that the train is coming because that's another thing. You go hop the train and you get stuck in the train station. And you got to run the tunnel because like Which, that happens way, too. Yeah, no big facts. But you know what? By the way, that brings us back to what I had said, right? Where like Warriors is like a real true story in type New York. It's not a true story, right? But it's but real. That is, that is absolute real to New York City. And that's yeah. the way that it used to be. And it maintained like that for a very long time until about like the like late 90s you know and it started evolving around then you know and gentrification took a grip on the city but like it still has those elements and like yeah. that the, like that where where you would think it's just like oh it's 2021 and like things don't work like that no more and it's just like nah like they, they you know they kind of still do in certain places in new york city and there's certain neighborhoods like i make fun of my brooklyn friends with the gentrification in Brooklyn, right? And I'm like, you know, they took the heart of Brooklyn, they took the stole, and you know, and they get offended, and rightfully so, right? And then they'll be like, yeah, we'll still go to X, Y, Z, and they start naming the places. And it's just like, yeah, it's not gentrified there, you know? Like, right. It's still bad there, you know? Right. So, like, it's still bad we, in a lot of we, places. Yeah, bro. And it's real. It it is. And it's bad in a lot of places, but, you know, yeah, crack and guns change the tone of the violence and the the type of violence you know what mm-hmm. i mean so now like there was always cats who had the revolver right like you would have the og but that was like the older dudes the ogs the cats who was really slinging some some weight or they were running the block they definitely had the pistol on them they would definitely blick off on somebody but when you're talking about the like the lieutenants and the street running kids like the violence was very hands-on you had to get your hands dirty you know what i mean um so, it, like, I just, like, violence to me is different because I, like, seen it in a different way, and it's graphic, you know what I mean? And, and like, a 14-year-old with a machine gun shooting you out the car across the street and down the block and blicking at you and you getting hit is different from a 14-year-old getting in a street fight and getting stabbed and getting his face cut up, you know what I'm saying, and getting, like, hit with bottles and all kind of crazy shit. It, it makes you feel different, like. It's dark. Mm. Yeah, it's always dark in New York City when it gets violent. And it always goes to the darkest places. That's yeah. why, like, you know, like, for New Yorkers, it's one of those things where, like, I don't think most people understand, like, the level of things that we usually end up seeing before we're even, like, full-grown adults. So it's just, right. like, the mentality just changes and shifts the way that you are as a person. It also, you know, humbles you really quick. And it teaches that's you, like, like, no matter how much you might be the shit, it's like, yo, bro. Like, that's why songs, like, from Biggie that are, like, niggas bleed just like us is just for a reason. Because, like, everybody in New York City has always had that mentality. Like, mm-hmm. everybody and anybody can get got, 
no matter how big and tough you are, there's always going to be somebody Yo. bigger and tougher. And, yeah. if it, and if they're not bigger and tougher, then we gang up and we'll jump you. And we'll we, jump we're going to get you either which way. <laughs> we're going to get you. We're going to find a way to get you. And the harder yeah. that you make it for us to get you, the harder that we're going to make it on you where we get you. And, right. and the most sick, depraved things you can think of. That's why, like, you have that yeah. skit from, like, Wu-Tang and met the man that because like it's not like they said that that was like a a, a game that they play. It's like I mean it's a game only Yorkers play because they do it in real life. These are things that they think up and like when you do dark side things like these are the you know these are the things that get brought up you know and and and, and it's like a psychology that like, we all kind of grew up. In. We'll we'll celebrate the most violent one of us. You know what I mean? And yeah. that will be the alpha because we'll be like, yo, but did you see what he did to son? He cut his ear off. You know what I mean? Like, so, all right, what was we talking about? Yeah, all right. So, basically, you were huh? into graph writing yeah. and stuff, which recently so somebody into, explained to me is different first, than yeah. the aerosol art mural things, which is a different culture yeah, that's entirely. A, so, like, yeah, that's, that's like, so now I'm, I'm banging with the street art thing and, like, the mural art because that's all, like, in the DNA of, of where I came from, but it is a distinctly different thing. Like right. graffiti writers and like graffiti artists and street muralists and artists is, and some of them overlap, but it is a different thing, dude. Like that graffiti shit is still street culture. Like getting up, tags, boom, your name, your crew, your block, right? It's like you talking about like people like Taki, you talking about people like um you know cost you're talking uh cost and revs who like they're kind of street graffiti artists you talk about like cope too and and these are just names of people that are like big who were like graffiti artists like king cope king of new york graffiti like got the most ups runs all the train lines you know what i'm saying you is so this so like yeah so this is like writing your name developing your hand style first and being able to make your letters look fly and then you escalate that to being able to do like bubble letters and a throw up quick which means that you got a quick bubble style Yo, so i was actually okay so i was outside today because i was looking around I'm, uh at my neighborhood has a lot of both the eras the the more the artsy side the mural stuff mm -hmm. but it also has a lot of writing I was I never yeah. really like looked at the differentiation before, but man, there was mm -hmm. like this one thing, and it was just bubble letters of the guy's name for like the whole thing. Like it looked like it took right. him all fucking night at some point, and then I realized that's not like the most legal place to get to. That's nah. like you had to go, and that's the, and that's what it was about, right? That's it, what and, it's about, yeah. And and like that's why there's still infamy. There's a there's still a tension in the streets around this, right? Mm. Because what happened is is like. Street art almost co like they co-opted the art, but not the street part of it, right? Mm. And so now you have people who are getting paid and commissioned to do murals in places where graffiti artists were like climbing over buildings and hanging off the side just to get up to get their name up because that's about your numbers. That's about your style and how dope you could do your shit. But also it's about like, well, can you do all of the competencies? Can you write your tag dope? Can you do a floater, a quick fill-in? Can you do a piece, right, which is a little bit more block letterish? And can you do a wild style and characters, right? So there's like it's like the MC challenge or like an MC. Like, can you freestyle? 
Can you write a song? Can you spit over any beat? Like, you got to have certain levels of talent. And then you also have to get up and go out in the street and do that shit so that everybody can recognize who you are so that you can move up and to gain acclaim and fame, right? So you have that. And then you have kids that are, like, literally, like, enamored by that, but then go and take an art class, right? And they learn how to do spray paint art or how to adapt their art to large format. And it, it, like, that's, a, that's a whole nother episode. And so there's still a rub with that, right? Because now you got cats that are like, yo, this motherfucker just got this wall on Bushwick right by the train station and did a mural and he made five racks, but he's not from the block, A. He's not in the streets, A, and like shaking hands and kissing babies and, and giving homage to the dudes on the block. So I'm going to go toy his shit and write right over it. And I'm not going to do art over it, really. I'm going to do my letters and my hand styles because I want that spot. And so what happens to, to that artist? They be feeling the way, right? And then now, now, now we got something bubbling, right? So there's a large um, conversation in my community in the streets around art and graffiti and shit about like, What's what? What's valid? Who's valid? Who gets props? Who gets to do a mural that stays up and don't get touched because they kissed the right rings and gave the right props versus who just pulled up and tried to put pretty colors and a flower on some shit and they shit his toy and they're going to get ragged. Um, so I come from that era of like, yo, I just want to, I got to get my hairstyle up. I got to have great penmanship with the way I write my shit and I have to get it up in as many places as possible. Then I got to have a crew of other people from my block and we got to have a three letter or like some kind of code that we use, whether, you know, it's, it's TSK or K or whatever it is that stands for our crew. And then we got to go to other neighborhoods and put our shit up so they could see us popping. Then we got to go all city and we got to hit train lines and everything so we could get our props up and our popularity up. And then on the other side of that, we got to be able to fight and defend that shit when people start going over it and fuck them up because we got to be the most violent and the most scary so that when they see our tag, they don't want to write over our tag because we will bust them up. So that was a, a thing that I was into uh, for a little while. That and you also were so many people have such nice handwriting. <laughs> yes. Because you got to have your, your, your letter styles got to be dope because if mm. you start going and you're getting up everywhere and you're putting your shit up and it don't look fly, you a toy and, and somebody more senior than you or somebody who's on the come up is going to go over your shit and they're going to test you. And if you pussy and you're not going to fight and step to them and handle your business, you're done. Quit. Don't do that no more. Fact. Yo, that's that's big, man. I can I appreciate it because it's, it's very correlated to hip hop. So like everything yeah. we're saying here is super relevant to your musical journey because it's going to carry on into everything else you're doing. But you're adding so much flavor to it. Like. Like sometimes people come through and like they describe stuff and it's almost like blind cooking. You get the gist of it, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily add the full flavor spectrum of what was happening. I feel like you're painting these these giant detailed pictures. Like somebody said, like you you were prepared. You knew exactly what you were coming in for. And I fucking nah, love I didn't. It, man. I didn't honestly. And like I just knew I had to get to cousin's house, get by the pool, so you could see that we doing it in Miami. And make sure my Wi-Fi was cracking. My son is watching a movie in the other room with Cuzzo. 
and, and I just was like, I'm gonna have a conversation with Flock and the homie from Canada, and we're gonna just talk our shit. You know what I mean? That's wonderful. So you're just really just ready to go. I fucking love it, man. It's it's no, this is just my life. Like this is like this is who I am, bro. It's it's you know what it is. I and I know I think I you know I don't want to presume to like you know speak for you you know bro so you can stop me at any point right. But like Mm -hmm. I think what it is is that when you think back to a certain time, you're transported back to those emotions and those feelings that you had at that time. And so that comes out when you're speaking about that thing and that time, you know, and yeah. that's all that it is. It's, but you know what? I appreciate that because that gives me more of a feeling than somebody who maybe doesn't articulate themselves in that way. Mm. And I can't be like thinking about a script of my life. Right. I just I'm just having a conversation with the homies and we talk them and you asking me questions. And that puts me in a place where, like, I got to think and reflect and, and figure out, like, what. You know, I was doing that at these different times. Yeah. So I was stealing paint. I was buying loose cigarettes in a brown paper bag. They were like a nickel if you went to the right spot. I I don't know why they were selling cigarettes to like 11 and 12 year old and 13 year old kids. Um, You know, I was wearing the same cool outfit that I thought was the best look for my street personality. You know, I was carrying many weapons. Um, because, you know, if your knife drops, you got to have your razor. And if your razor drops, then you got to have the mini bat in your sleeve. You know, everything was super oversized, size 40 jeans, double XL tops, you know, big, big boots in case you got to stomp shit out. You know what I mean? And you got to always look on some like clandestine shit. Like, yo, don't cross the street over there. Those guys look spooky. But all of that is like survival shit. And here comes my cousin Betty. She could vouch for all this shit. You know what I mean? I think we smoked we our need, first. I, think we, I think we, we smoked we, our we, first bogeys together. We don't, we, don't, we don't need a. We don't need a. We don't need a vouch. You know, like no, we, I know. We, we, we take you at your word because we that's know that you're a man of your word. That's you a, that's I mean? a hundred. So, like, so yeah. so when did rapping start? I think um sometime around like that fourteen, like like junior high school, going to high school era for sure. Um, mm-hmm. forty ounces, you know, Cisco Blackberry brandy. Crazy Horse, St. Ides, um, Dirt Trees with mass seeds from the guys on 8th Street, the Jamaicans, because I lived in Alphabet City. So the Dreads was right up the block for me on St. Mark's. This is before, like, Chronic and Crippy and all this high-end boutique weed shit happened. You know, it was very dirt, partially mixed. You know what I mean? And it was Phil- it was Phillies. It was White Owls. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nah, it was. It was back in the days we were for. Uh, nobody was gonna find yeah. back then. You Man, look at the and, stuff that they were smoking in Woodstock. I'm like, what is this? What is yeah. pictures of sticks and stems? Yeah. What? What is that? <laughs> I think yeah, Dutchess bro. came later, sis. Uh, Those came um, later Danny, for me, Danny, for sure. Danny mentioned Dutchess and and um, uh, big sis Danny. And, no, my shit was we was doing after, we was doing Phillies. Yeah, Phillies and White Owls early. The first thing first. Yeah, but definitely blunts. Yeah, we got on. And then Dutchess came in when I was like, I think I was like maybe in tenth grade, like when the Dutchess came out, and then that, Mm -hmm. and then they came with the honey, and then they came with the chocolate, and Mm -hmm. then, and then the vanillas Mm -hmm. finally flavors. Flavors, and then vanilla. We, and then you know, I think if we take vanillas, then I fast forward me to like nineteen ninety seven ish. And then we was like, yo, we got to roll these a little lighter because we had already been puffing for so long and our young lungs were already crying and we would start cutting them in half 
rolling them with less paper and trying to be like conscious of like how weighted the cigar was. And and this is when you actually had to know how to crack it. You had to know how to prepare it. It wasn't yeah. like, yo, I'm going to get a roll up and, and put it in the roll up and it's ready to go. Nah, bro. No. Even your Philly, you had to have, yeah. that's an acquired talent. Because if you get a stem and you didn't pick it, it's going to pop through. It's and you got to white paper, paper it. Yeah, like, bro. Man. Like, there's yeah, nah. levels out yo, here, daddy. You don't know. You don't know. Like, you, know <laughs> you know what it is for me to get my name Dutch in New York City? Like, that's not, yeah. no, like, yo, like, that's a, that's like, I worked hard for my name. You know, like, it was a multi, right? it's a multi-tiered thing. And, like, and and you had, I had to be able to roll in the cold. That's right. how you get a name like Dutch. Is being and you got to be able to roll in the outside, cold, standing in up, the street, outside, standing in the up outside with the wind blowing. And it's right. still to be finessed and skilled and everybody be able to enjoy what we all paid for together. Like, that's a key crazy? word. Like, that's that's how you get a name You like said that. a key word, My finesse. Thought, you got to be able to finesse the Dutch. You got to be able to finesse it. Yeah, and that's New York <laughs> slang. That's amazing. I tried to roll one one time recently, and it was fucking awful, and I was mad at myself, so I decided yeah, to roll it. <laughs> and then so if I... you was lucky enough and you were smart enough, you had some shorties in your crew because they had the small, dexterous fingers, and they would be able to finesse it even better, and then that's a come up. Yerk. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great conversation. <laughs> no, for In real, fact, I'm loving this a lot. My um, wife throws my blunts down days for that same See, See? Te lo dije. And so I'm 14, I think, at this point in my story arc. And, and then we're doing all that, you know, getting right. And uh, we used to frequent a couple of pool halls in different places. And, and you know, that's when beatboxing. Oh, pool halls are big in Eric? Well, me, I live downtown. Oh, never mind. They're so big here, close. too. I don't even yeah. know why I said that. They're big here, too. Never mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah there's bro. movies based on, like, pool hall hustling in New yeah. York City. And then mm-hmm. that, you know, we... And then, like, I've always been a real, like, open-minded person. Like, and I come from a neighborhood where we grew up with every different race. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, like my man, Fung or whatever, he Chinese, but he he down. He wears low. He wears Tim's, like, and he's ready to, like, get biz if we need to. Like, my other man was black. My other man might be Trinidadian. So we live, I lived in, like, in a diverse place. It's like, I hung out with everybody. So, like, we would go to the Chinese pool halls, and we had love in there. We always show respect. And there's, like, the triads and the ghost shadows time, and they had a little bit of a war thing going on. So there was some more ultraviolence that we would bear witness to. But we neutral. They don't mess with the young kids. Yeah, they just here to, like, hang out and drink 40s and shit. So, like, that's a whole nother era. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, we, you know, we sold fireworks for the mafia. Like, like we did a lot of different things. You know what I mean? But it was all about. <laughs> you reminded me of wild, <laughs> like word. Yo, I remember that. Oh this is all like, yo, like your life crazy. is like a. Yeah. Like, I forget more than I remember sometimes. Man, yeah. it's like a movie. Like I watched. I watched yeah. this shit on TV. Like I look, I I went through this whole phase where I was like scouring the internet for every documentary I could find on what it was like to like grow up there in these different areas or the crime syndicates and the impact. And I'm like, no shit. You're you're like the guy that was doing the things at the bottom level there, and, that, up, and it, it's like kind of crazy. <laughs> you're starting to let's, rap. Let's, so let's like, start. Let's start talking about this rapping journey, right? Yeah, because like that's what right? happens. You keep getting more contexted, which is great, and then you remember another detail about it, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So we haven't yeah, like, yet got so to yeah. how you started rapping. So so all this is happening, right? And I'm I'm living this 
of duality, right? Because I'm also pretty smart in school, you know, top tier class in the school, um, trying my best to like make mom's proud so she don't want my ass no more, or punish me no more, or, like not give me no more bread. This is when you had a paper bus pass type shit before they killed the token mm. and before the Metro card era. Just to give y'all like time and contact. Um, and so I I get accepted to go to, to Brooklyn Tech High School. I take the test for specialized high school in New York City. And this is a thing like a lot of kids do it. There's three special schools in the city, like Stuyvesant being the premier school. Where you have to have a certain score. And then right behind that is Bronx Science being number two. And then Brooklyn Tech being the best of the three, but being ranked third. Fuck your lives. Um, So I get into tech. And so now I take this whole situation to Brooklyn. You know what I mean? And um, I meet meet the homie O. That's where I met Olivier, the dub divis. Um, and I had already been kind of doing freestyling and things like that locally with the homies, but then it takes on this new level because now it's, it's boroughs, right? And, and like, you got to like get on that lunch table and you got to be able to hold it down and you got to be able to get in the cypher. Um, and you still, and this is like, and I'll say this, like the decepts were strong in my school because it was in downtown Brooklyn, right? Um, if it has that don't know, the Decepts or the Decepticons was a gang that was running around New York City based predominantly out of Brooklyn in the early 90s. And they were cutting and robbing people. people have people mentioned up. the Decepts on the show already. So. Yeah, so yeah. there was definitely, you know, young 14-year-old pro, like, goes in in ninth grade at the bottom of the tier. And, you know, there's all this stuff happening. So I'm having to take now the subway into Brooklyn, getting off at J Street Borough Hall um, on the F. I don't know if y'all people out there don't know what that is, but that's like um, downtown Brooklyn is like the train. <laughs> that's like the train. The all our trains are all our trains are la, uh, uh, letters and, and um, numbers. Back. So it's like almost every letter of the alphabet A B C D. There, there's like a different train right. for every letter, and there's a different train for um, every singular digit. So I get almost. so I get to Brooklyn, you know, and. I take my street wits and my school wits, and now I start meeting other masterminds from other places. You know what I mean? And the freestyle starts to accelerate based on just the competitive nature and the intellectual prowess of these kids, because a lot of these kids are not only savvy and and from the streets and from different neighborhoods, but they're also smart because they took this test and they had to get enough points to get in. So I'm dealing with like the upper top 10% 10% uh, my battery getting low, so we're going to have to plug in soon, um, of New York City. Um, and I got roasted a couple times, heavy. You know what I'm saying? Like, 100%. But that makes you step your stuff up. And then we got kids coming from other schools, you know, neighboring places. They want to get in on the freestyles outside after school and things of that nature. And it's a, it's, it's a very organic, it's almost like a movie at this point, right, Stefan? Like, to your point, it's like when you imagine kids with Jansport backpacks and, like, North Face jackets in a circle, like, I don't think he imagines those rabbit. labels, but I think he imagines <laughs> what you're trying to paint. I, I get the idea of what we're describing, because, like you said, yeah. it's almost like you said at the beginning, you don't want to come off sounding so almost cliche with it, but this is your it life. Is that. 
but your life yeah. is the life that the cliche is based off of by the circumstances of when you were born and the reality that you had to face. So it's it's so kind what? of incredible to talk to you because again, the flavor that you add to it. And the next time I'm gonna hear any record from New York, it's gonna have more context. Hundred percent truth, my bro. Um, so like I'm in those circles, right? And then I'm also living in Manhattan and me and my best friend and, and you know, one of my several crews at the time, we walk to the ville, the village every day, damn near. Right. So we're going to West Third Street by the basketball courts and, and, and we're going to Washington Square Park and you know, we're seeing, you know, the most deaf and the talibs in ciphers. You know what I'm saying? We're seeing the AL skills and, and the punch and the words. And all of these stars and legends from like Lyricist Lounge, like these are the same dudes that are in the same cipher with you, right? And you might not be feeling your shit, but you got to get in there and you got to do your eight or your 16 and get your quick in and outs, you know what I mean? So it was very much like for me, um, in, in, uh, more of an impression and more uh, of an education in hip hop and like rap culture at this point now, right? I'm still doing the graffiti. We're still doing all that. But now there's like this hyper focus coming around. Yo, I got to have some bars and some punches that I could use in some of these ciphers that are going to get people to go, oh, and to be able to give you that nod when you walk away or to see you the next time and be like, oh, let him rock. Let him go next. Let him get a 16 off right now. Because if, if you didn't do that in your first one or two ciphers, you're cooked. You're not, you're not going to get to rap until everybody's done day thing and then you just rapping for like whoever's left mm. and you never want to be that guy right so it's making me trying to like think about different ways to sharpen my sword to be able to like get that recognition and and, and that acknowledgement from really the upper tier because these guys are already nice these guys are a few years older than me they're definitely more you know seasoned and well groomed um because i'm kind of like a few years younger than these different groups of folks that I'm talking about. And so like where I'm 16, maybe these guys are 19, right? Or 20 years old and have been doing this a little bit longer. So I'm having to like really brush up and hone my craft to a different level. So I, all I do, you know, in Brooklyn Tech is we go to school when we go. And that's a whole nother thing. We, we go and we go to our places where we go to get our things that we do. We partake and then we freestyle and I'm freestyling over like anything. Like you could be going, uh, and I got a verse for that. You might be playing Jimi Hendrix, Castles Made of Sand in the background and there's a guitar solo part and it's like, yo, I want to eat over that part. Just play that part right there, right? Um, so like there's this whole era for me during 1994, five, six, where I'm really just like, A, hanging out heavy, you know, cutting class, doing all the wrong things, trying to navigate and still pass my classes, but also really trying to think about how can I be a better rapper and how can I like not get dissed when it's my turn to rap in the cypher. Man, that's pretty fucking fresh still because it, like, like just the idea of the quality threshold being all these people who are just ahead of you in the game. And effectively, right. the gatekeeping isn't so much people who are interested in money or whatever. It's just, yo, we yeah. understand a dope vibe, and you got to make sure the vibe stays dope or you don't get your opportunity. But you also have to step up and prove it or else nobody's going to mm -hmm. let you have it. Like, man, that's a lot of big things about this situation that that's, how, that's almost like how business works. 
And you have to almost yeah. have to take that ethic to it. And I really like that you said that. I and it was was 100% not, it was non-commercial, right? Like, this is, like, about pride. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's this, it's that same competitive um, and prideful energy that you bring into the tagging or to the, like, trying to learn some floor moves so that you could be impressive. Or, like, it's, like, this is, like, in New York City, like, during this time, everything is about your status and your pride, period. There's nothing else. I'm not trying to be anybody who's on or like i'm not pursuing professional rap goals i'm just trying to have the homies the people on the block and the peers that i consider my peers respect me mm. and so like um that's kind of the context for all of that yeah and i think that's why i was excited you brought up the the mark graffiti side of it because somebody else had recently told me it's weird like nobody talked about graffiti and then it has this been with this interview series. Like somebody mentions it at one point. I think Lush One was the first one to bring it up. And then it's literally come up every almost everybody I've talked to since. And it's been like up until this moment. So I got the baseline to allow your flavor to really be like appreciated. And it's really cool how it worked out like that. But that's why I've had a feeling it brought into that cipher energy because all the things you were describing there, it's just everybody older now kind of doing this this more verbal version of it. Not necessarily everybody, but like the general culture of it. <clears throat> it's almost like yeah, hundred percent. Like uh, that's why when I hear people being like, "Yo, these words thing," it's a way to avoid the violence. It like adds this whole extra layer to it because you can just say what you got to say without that. Yeah, but don't get it twisted. There's there was violence behind the rap. Too. Yeah, there was. Like, <laughs> like you don't you don't go battle somebody on some street stuff and say something that's like ultra left and not have to put some hands behind it. Yeah, period. There was there was a lot of there was a lot of like I'd say that to people all the time. Where I'm like, yo, back in the days before there was cameras like that recording battles. Like, yo, our lives were literally on the line. Like, for <laughs> me to have the balls to say some of the shit that I would say to people to their face, like it was it was a matter of like I was putting my word up. Like, yo, I'm willing to fight right now over this shit. You already know what it is, and you know? and you, and you really like, got to be ready to. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way that it was. Win, win, and it's win or lose, too. Let me just be clear, right? Like, you could get duffed out, or you could take take an L, but you got to stand up. Yeah. If you're coming back outside, or you can't come back outside if you don't stand up. Mm. Yep. And that's the worst thing that could happen to you on the block, too, is that, that you get violated and you don't stand up. Like, win, lose, or draw. Because then you can't show up no more. Like once they once your card get revoked, you don't get a pass again. Right. You go to a different neighborhood. You don't you don't hang out on your own block no more, bro. Because you don't get no no wins out here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's serious. That explains yeah. like again, it just explains more stuff. So you're coming from that environment, but how are you like getting your music? Because you never really talked a lot about what your interests were. Yeah. So. Um, I'm getting my music from mixtapes, a right. Like I, I was like I said, I'm from the block, so like Burkina, for me, was like eight or nine blocks away. Burkina is like the premier distribution spot for every underground mixtape in Manhattan, down Lower Manhattan. Like if you got a hot mixtape out, if you Ron G, if you Kid Capri, if you Anybody, your mixtapes at Burkina. So me and my my best friend Jose Velez, 
um, at the time, we used the boombox guys. Like, we was always walking around with the boombox, with a new mixtape and or a recorded tape from Hot 97 or one of the other hip-hop stations. So what that means? That means we got one TDK, one 20-minute, and on Friday night, when whoever's DJing comes on, we let that joint roll. And we record it, and we try to capture every song, you know, that was coming out at the time so that we could be familiar with the new heat even before is is it's going to the main programming of the station right because like on a late night friday or something like that for us is when you're catching like exclusives you know and you're having different um djs play those joints that are not going to be in the regular daytime rotation right um so for me like video music box huge ralph mcdaniels thank you thank you very much uncle ralph you know what I'm saying? The visuals, being able to come home after school, switch my mom's TV to UVF or whatever the alternate section was, and then click to 35 on the alternate and get the antenna right, the spin antenna, and tune in. So I was receiving a lot of input um, directly from Video Music Box. Ralph was putting me on to what's hot, what's coming out, who's popping. You know what I'm saying? Redman, Wu-Tang. Um, that's the era for me, Fushnickens, you know what I'm saying? The artifacts. Um, but even before that, you know, like I said, I had older cousins and they would put me on to game. They would bring me like a little tape that they was listening to. So I'm absorbing like different levels of, of the music, right? Things that are coming out and emerging at almost an underground level. And things that are like, all right, we're going to play this one or two records on the regular New York City radio station, right? Mm. But fucking video music box, bro, that should change my whole life. And then it's visual too, right? So I'm getting to see these dudes, you know, that they look like me. They moving like I'm moving. They obviously wearing the same kind of like like gear that I'm rocking. And they, they sonically taking me to new places you know and i would be remiss not to to mention my stepfather um who was also just a cool ass dude from the block who was like yeah listen to doggy style when you're like x years old let's listen to this shit together in the car and play it loud and roll around you know what i'm saying and like really put me on to game like that as well so um and there's a kid's birthday party behind me too so enjoy no, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, no, nah, I heard the kids. Hearing it and they got I a was... bounce house and everything. I'm mad. They didn't have a bounce house when I was a kid. No, nope. They didn't have no a bounce, bounce house when I was a kid you. either. I never even had the McDonald's party, bro. I'm mad. I, I got one McDonald's, McDonald's party. party. My parents gave me a McDonald's party when I was one year old, bro. I'm just like, why'd you do it then? <laughs> I didn't care when I was one. What the <laughs> fuck? You robbed me of that. I should have had that at six years old. Fuck. Yeah, it's pretty good. I've been to a couple of those. It was, it was, I was I got blessed. I'm not gonna lie. McDonald's parties were nice. Um, all right. So basically, yeah. So you're you're you got the poetry unlocked from when you're young. So you already understand kind of the the writing side of it. <clears throat> oh. Words have always come simple to you. You've learned how to sharpen your pen game and go through the art of performing and impressing other people, becoming fearless with it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, on that front of it. So at what point does it like elevate to you start making songs or songs? See, that's another thing. Like for, for me, like 
it was just verses, right? Mm. It was like, yo, I gotta have killer verses. Like, I, like songs, concepts, like what's that? Like, I got like 12 16s that I could spit off the top and they all kill. You know what I mean? That's, that was that's, the first that's, goal. that's pretty typical for a New Yorker. Like it, like you said in your position that it wasn't really about the like being a rapper as much as it's about having the respect of like your peers and the people in your age group. Right. Like guys in New York City were known for that specifically, where it's just like, yo, check out this 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 rhyme he got. Yo, this shit is fire. But it was yeah. just like that rhyme and it went on endlessly or whatever, you know? But it was like, it was never like, oh, this song he's about to do for you, you know? Like, it was just like, right. I got yeah. bars, though. I got bars, you know? So, like, so, so, I, so I, I'll kind of like get you to where we where we start the dub, right? So uh, I'm at Brooklyn Tech. I have really like honed this the, the, and mastered i like to say this art of like freestyling and being able to come off the top i got like a good amount of like verses that i could just pull up on your site but kill you with four or five hot ones and be like all right respect you're gonna remember me um and so i i graduate and then i go to cuny i go to hunter college um I want to say first semester, Hunter College, I'm not academic, Brody. I'm not there to like further my future. I'm there to meet my new set of peers and take everything that I've already done to a new level of freedom because I'm now a man and I can do whatever I want, mom. So. He said, mom. <laughs> oh, I feel it so much. <laughs> that was flawless. Yo, next time I see your mom, I'm gonna tell you said that, yo. She knows. <laughs> I she know knows. she knows. I'm gonna remind you. I mean, I, mean I, I moved out when I was 19, bro, bro, and I, I haven't been back. You know what I mean? And so, no, like, we're right know. in that pocket, right, of like the man tension of growing and like being like. Who I if you want to do. do what you want to do, you're going to have to do that on your own. You're not going to do, gonna that do it here. You're not going to do it here. Mm -hmm. um, I got like three notebooks, maybe four. The big joints full of raps. Um, I'm definitely trying to be conscious more. I'm trying to speak about, you know, kind of all of these things and injustices that I'm seeing. So I'm kind of sewing that into the bar work, but I'm also still trying to blow your head off and I'll cut you if I have to. Um, so there's kind of like this, this duality to everything that I'm working on, right? It's kind of, yeah, I'm, I, I'm fun loving and peaceful and I, I'm conscious for the people, but I'll ice cube you too. Um, so I'm at Hunter College and you know, we're kind of going to class. We're spending a lot of time up at Central Park in the gazebo on the rocks and we're like having three hour ciphers of different kinds. Um, and so I meet the bro Stead Ruckus, Ben McRoberts, who's my brother to this day. I meet uh, James Calhoun, mm -hmm. who's my brother to this day. Um, and Stead, he's got his homie who's coming home who've been away for some time and we're going to go down to his apartment that he was renting on Rivington Street with his roommate Ben Block. And, you know, it was like the frat, the frat apartment, you know, 
know the type. You walk in, there's an assortment of party goods <laughs> and other things. And we spend a lot of time there. And one day this guy, Jason Voorhees, shows up, who, who's, who's just got back, who's uh, physically intimidating, uh, who's very like, cool, dope, but it definitely brolic. And his bar work is like, who's that? Like, I don't know if I ever, like, been around that caliber of MC in my own sphere. And so we immediately, like, hit it off. You know what I mean? Honestly, like, we're kindred spirits, you know? And, like, he's hitting me with a verse, and I'm hitting him with a verse. And he's hitting me. And so we pretty much go through our whole book, you know? And, like, he's been away at camp for a while, sharpening his sword. You know, I've been out here in the street and in school and all that, sharpening my sword. And we have a good fashion, you know, master dojo sensei sword, you know, practice. And we do the 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 ninja thing and we say, yes, it is you and it is you. And now we will go out there and we will find others like us and we will form like Voltron. Um, shortly thereafter, my bro, Ego Trip, Paul Bochamp, I meet him at Hunter College. He is a provider of some goods that we all like to partake in. And so I end up spending a lot of time at the dorms, uh, the Hunter College dorms, and hanging out with him. And one night he's like, yo, like, let me play, let me play you something. And he plays us a dummy album by Portishead. And needless to say, the party favors come out, the vibe raises, and we start doing the same thing. We start tearing through bars and, and, and being like, wow, it's a mutual admiration for one another's talent. And, you know, the story goes, we, we start forming this thing called Eye to Eye. And we decide, yes, I think that we should start trying to make a song. I think that verse that you have and, and that verse that you have, and he has a verse and a hook. And I think that this all goes together and it makes a song. And we recorded, uh, Would You Sell Your Soul for the Dope? And I think that might be the first record that we recorded. And I would be remiss in not mentioning my guy, Saga Legend, who had equipment, you know? And we met him at The Rock, doing what we did that was, at The Rock. And Central Park. That's, that's key. Like, he said it, he said it, he perked up when he said it, because in New York City, in all of that poverty, right, yeah. you're not going to have commonly many people who can afford to have studio equipment in their home back then. So like all like the way that like it is nowadays with like people just being able to record, that's why like everybody's story struggles of like recording on like headphones mm. and things like that exist because like it was difficult to get your hands on some equipment. So like to know somebody that had equipment themselves, you know, like that's like a- That was a game changer, bro. Game changer, and, yeah. and And not only that, but Hunter's on 68th Street east side and he lives on 59th street west side so you're telling me if we walk through the park and take a couple blocks south we're gonna go to a place with equipment like what so the gazebo moves to saga legend crib the whole cypher right um and we start recording in the bathroom his mom hates us we, we we're taking our party favors there she ain't feeling that you know what i mean and so, like, we, we do a couple of, like, 
demo tracks. We cut a couple of records and then we're like, yo, I think we, we should just keep growing this into like a collective. And my guy at the time at Hunter College, his name was Cypher, has a boy from Boston who's super dope and we got to hear him. And so enter Slain um, into the picture. This is like 1997, 98. And me, him, Ego Trip, and Vice, or Jason Voorhees at the time, have like a legendary monumental freestyle bars exchange out in front of Hunter College. Um, and we, we rapped for like, you know, as, as long as they would let us before security told us we had to get it bumping. And so Slain becomes a part of the Eye to Eye Collective. Um, and Vice and I, you know, we quickly become really like tight homies. Like I said, I moved out of Mom Duke's crib. I go through a couple of different temporary situations and then I move and I have my own crib out in Brooklyn. And I move out to uh, McDonald Avenue in Brooklyn, which is a predominantly like religious Jewish neighborhood. And somehow, you know, me and my me and girl at the time convinced this realtor to rent us an apartment, even though we have like no credit, we have like just enough cash to pay for like the deposit and the first month's rent. I'm working some gig and so we get the crib, right? And so once I have the crib, you know, Vice becomes a staple on my couch. You know, he becomes like my fourth roommate. You know, Ego Trip is my roommate, Vice is there all the time. And then this new kind of level of creation starts to happen, right? Where we can now be disciplined to sit there and to do all our things, but also to write together and to have a more constructive approach towards taking this collective to a new level. Um, and we start going to these underground shows, right? We start going, you know, to the spots in the village and the Low East Side. Um, James Bong is a promoter, you know, James from Hunter, who's the homie, and he's promoting parties and he puts us on a bill. And we have our first eye to eye show where we do a couple of these kind of makeshift hodgepodge records. And that really becomes like the foundation for us uh, to do more in the underground and then to recruit more, honestly, because we're not really content that our collective is deep enough and Vice, you know, always dreaming bigger and always pushing us. is like, yo, we should have some shorties. You know what I mean? We should have like some, and then, you know, oh, so we meet some girls and they want to rap. So like, let's go to Brooklyn and let's go connect with them. And we go to Brooklyn and we start building with um, Corey, Cream, and Fifi. And we meet my sister Samaj um, and they become part of the collective. And we start writing for them, right? And helping them to write and to cultivate their stuff. Um, and this is how we meet Pumpkinhead and Bad Seed and Shabam Sadiq. Because in Brooklyn at this time, like all of this is happening people are working on music they're collaborating like our homies are your homies and like when we pull up at the crib you pull up at the crib and then this turns into like this familial thing right where it's not just the shows we're doing but it's like well what y'all doing on saturday night like let's pull up on the crib and let's work on the joint um and that's where we start to like really grow those roots that eventually lead us to meeting zoo and nunzio and working with them and, and forming the dub, you know, more formally in, in the year 2000. And there's one place that's really like seminal in that transition, and it's this place, Bob's. 
you know, Bob's is a bar downtown in the lower. And my man Paul works at Ralph Lauren and he's got a crew of people that always go there on Thursday night. They're not carding you. The, the beers are cheap. If you get there at a certain time, you know what I mean? Nobody really notices you. So we go, we start pulling up there at like 6.30, you know what I mean? And, and we meet the locals and we get friendly. And then those ciphers that we were doing in the apartment or at the college dorm turn into ciphers in the middle of the dance floor over the records that the DJ is playing. And the DJ is this guy named Joey Ty, Filipino bro, mad cool. And he's super like receptive to us, like being there and like rapping over his records. But he's also like, yo, this is like a party not a rapper show so he quickly is like yo i found another spot i can put together like an open mic night and dj it for you and baby jupiter is born and that first kind of classic night that everybody talks about being the first night at the end of the week which vice thought of that name you know always being the creator that he is you know it's sunday it's end of the week but it's also end of the week because we're strong and there's always like double and triple entendres um, and like a great level of creative visualization behind all of his concepts, right? And the rest is not history, but the rest is kind of where we are right now. Fair. So the rest is like. Wait, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna pull that shit on us. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's time for me to pause and have some water, bro. <laughs> the buck stops here, right, buddy? You're right. You're not gonna cut us short right there and be like, oh. And uh, well, that wraps it up in a nice little bow for us. No, no, no. But I think I think that's almost the end of the part one of the prolific one interview, right? Okay, okay, okay. okay. And here, my ch- I got I got twenty percent now. I think that should hold me down for a little bit. Okay. So so we so you know, I, I don't know if you probably heard the story. Um, so it's get interesting the to hear your side of the story. Because I heard uh, Nunzio and Big Zeus side of the story. On their side of the story, yeah. it was a little more like, and those eye-to-eye guys were really nice. They were really nice. <laughs> like there, was some, there was a degree of like, like I, I, I like them, but like they were really nice. <clears throat> like we were nicer, but they were nice. And your side of the story yeah. is like, we made this big collective and we had this whole yeah. collective going and then I ran into them and it just, and then we had this night and I'm like, but they like going to all this detail about the night. They break it down like this and you're like, I wrap it up. And I'm like, that is mad different. <laughs> well, the, the, you know what I find? I find the, the, the dichotomy, the duality of how, all your personalities, right? Like, if you look at Zoo and you look at Pro, like, their interviews are, like, not similar at all, you no. know? And they're very different, like, uh, God, they're very different men, uh, grew up with um, in different ways, and mm-hmm. though there's similar things, right? But it's just, like, very different, you know? And I'm pretty sure that, like, if if we were to have been lucky enough and blessed enough to have Vice around and, and interview him, it would have also been a different, you know, um, uh, just story and upbringing, you know? Like, I mean, but like, wave team. Uh, obviously, I'm think- giving you a, a truncated version 
right? Yeah, but still. Um, but I will say that while being mindful of other people and other performers and talents, there was a real, like, strict focus in creating this eye-to-eye thing that was, like, not just me and Vice and Trip, right? It was about, like, this almost this spectacle of, like, yo, there's a black dude, there's a black Spanish dude, there's a just Spanish dude, there's an Asian black girl, there's a white girl, and then there's a white rapper from Boston, and they're in the same crew, and every one of them got bars. Like, it was almost like it was bigger than any of us, right? And, mm-hmm. and our goal was to do something that was not manufactured, but that was organic, but also representative of who we were as people and where we came from and what we wanted to bring to the industry. Because eye to eye, you know, it stands for introduction to insanity. And then insanity is like initiating new styles amongst a negligent industry's troubled youth, right? So there's this real intentional focus on trying to like shift what we were seeing in mainstream music at the time and to make it not only more inclusive, but to make it um, based on skills and how dope you were but also to like look different, be different and, and represent something different. You know what I mean? And it was so unique and so singular what we were doing that it, it was like, yeah, we saw everybody and we acknowledged their talent and there was this, there's always competition. We were all familiar with that. Like I told you earlier, like that was a whole factor in like me trying to like brush up and tighten my shit. But our goal was and always has been bigger and about more than like competitive rapping still it's just fascinating to hear the way the stories get told um but can you tell us more about about the way like i agree like i find this very like i enjoy the fact that it's because it's it it speaks to the fact that that's why the synergy was always so constantly good with all of y'all. Mm, Even right. Nunzio being the guy that was like, right, like the way that I saw it <coughs> essentially, right, is like the two duos within the groups, right? So like Vice Versus and Propane join with like Zoo and Nunzio and that's really like those four are what forms the pyramid of the and yeah. the weak family, right? And so even Nunzio being a performer, but being like, I'm going to get off the stage and I'm going to take care of the sound, it's just, it's it's that. It's showing synergy. It's showing where, like, everybody's going to fall into, mm. you're going to willingly fall into these parts and these roles because you all want to fill them. You And you want this thing to succeed, you know? And so, like, the fact that everybody's story is different shows that exactly that, you know, the, the, where the success lies, it's in that it's in the differentness of each one of you. And that's what you were talking about. I I have the different. And that that happens like, I think that happened organically. And like, you know, again, it's like this, this universe will, will align things the way they're supposed to be aligned, whether or not you want them to. So, what happened is like Trip, you know, he ended up having a child even before any of us, any of us, right? So his level of uh, responsibility to a Sunday night show 
was like way lower on his priority list in life, right? Uh, whereas the the rest of us weren't even thinking about, you know, having babies and things like that. Except me, I did have my child, you know, when the dub started. But when we got on stage that first night, it was very clear where the synergies and connections lie, right? There are personalities that were like performer, host, strong, like go kill them personalities that gelled. And then there were other people that were instrumental in making sure that the machine to, was intact and running at a high level so that that could all gel and fuse together, right? And I think that once we started rapping and like hosting and like bouncing stuff off each other and other people saw it, I feel like even before we were really like, yeah, it's us three, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, these guys, like what they're doing right there is something that's unique and should be honed and harnessed and like nurtured. And I, you know, God bless the fam for like helping us to be able to be in that position to help the movement go where it went. Right. But I feel like that was all organic for me. You know what I mean? Like, we just banged together crazy, you know what I mean? And Vice had the ad-libs crazy, like he knew the timing. Zoo was mega, like, leader, like, stoic, like, yo, I'm your father. I'm going to put you in your place, and I'm going to show you the best freestyle you ever heard. And I'm like the life of the party, right? I'm going to make sure that this thing is popping the whole time. I'm going to make sure that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the disruptor, right? Because we can't always be straight-laced and buttoned up. There has to be some level of cool and like laid back like yo little brother energy and so like that's that's where i'm fitting into the puzzle you know and those three things coming together like it's a trinity you know what i'm saying and, and there can't be more and there can't be less and this is one of the things that i tell zoo even now in private is like we can never be the three again you know mm. because there's something perfect that and if you know about the three and the six and the nine and you know you, you know your knowledge like there's something about that three that is like, it's a magic number. And so like, I'm glad that y'all and the people out there have got to like witness and be a part of that era because it can never be replicated again without my brother. You know what I'm saying? Cause he's, he's part of that, that three. Mm-hmm. And like me and Zoo are gonna kill and we're gonna do what we're gonna do, but there will never be a three Kings like that again. Yeah, I appreciate that sentiment stills. I have one question before you leave yeah, it has to be asked um why did what what ha- why propane and prolific one and what what, yeah. what happened with the so, name change what's the right name <clears throat> my right name is omar no <laughs> but um so prolific one uh so that's my original like first name like that's that's my rapper name like mm. since i was like in high school fat Right. So like if you, you find people who know me from like 95, like, oh, pro. Yeah. Prolific. Prolific one. Um, and then the one being the W.O.N.E. because um, I won and I'm a winner and also I'm the one. So I felt like I had to compound those two and smash them together. And also as a shorty, there was a crew um, that I remember always seeing up and it was one team W.O.N. And I always thought that was so clever, like. Because every rap, like every graffiti artist does the number one a lot of times after their shit to make sure that you know that they're the first of their name. 
So prolific one, because I'm the first of that name. And anybody who wants to be prolific, you could be that, but I'm still the one. So there's that. They're going to be prolific but, two and trois. Whatever they want. But, you know, I'm always going to be the first of my name. But as I was doing the dub, um, like a few years into doing the dub, I felt like I wanted to have a sharper kind of name that was a little bit harder for, you know, lack of a better words. Um, I felt like I was fire and I was burning shit and I needed something to articulate that. And so I shifted and I changed my name to Propane um, because I just liked it. I just liked the way the shit rung off back and now that i've come back to music you know since vice's transition i felt like it was important for me to get back to my my square and to to my my original cypher and i i have to like be true to how i named myself originally and go back to that you know i mean core element and i felt like it was befitting just in terms of like the amount of productivity of creation and art that i'm creating and I don't want to be in pain no more. You know what I'm saying? So I had to drop all that. You know what I mean? Yo, your brother is in the background looking <laughs> like the groundskeeper and shit. Hey. It's his crib. He's just hey. doing his usual Saturday. Hey, you have, pro, you have prolific one. We This is a live version of, of Miami Cribs. <laughs> we, in Kendall, we in Kendall right now. It's amazing, too, because it's just so like, I don't know that I've ever watched anybody actually clean a pool because it's just not a regular thing in my life. Awesome. So, you know what I'm saying? Welcome awesome. to my world. This is, this is, this is part one. Wait till, wait till we get Liddy, a little Liddy bro, you know bro. What I just need bro, to let you know it's real. It's real. I'll be modest, humble status and all that, but hey, extra 100. That's real dope. And it's really cool to see that, right? Like, it's like to yep. know that this is where the story ends, right? Is is it in, or not ends? End. We just started. End, Daddy, ends come was on, not man. the right Please. word. It was not the right. <laughs> it's just, man. Sometimes you blame. ends at this episode. But yo, first of all, that mixtape thing you do with vinyl is ridiculously awesome. I don't know if it's a mixtape, oh, but I have to tell you, as a person that was like looking into you, going to prolificone.com. And then finding this mixtape thing that appears to just because I've heard some of these tracks before, um, it just seems, seems to be this like cut of like your whole career, and then it's like artist of the ages, right? And it's it's just I don't know if it's you or Vinyl talking. I couldn't figure out half or if it's both it's of me. you. It's so, me. So it's fair. It's you, and it almost felt yeah. like this like behind the scenes commentary, like the mm -hmm. like the bonus DVD track that would come out. Yeah. Like, and I was <clears throat> I was into it heavy. I was like, this was very helpful. It was a helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a helpful tool to like look into your life more, and it made me go, more artists should do things like this. How did you come up? Yeah, with you that? know, I, I, yeah, you know, I, and like I said, I, I, I've been off for years now. You know what I mean? I had to shift and, and pivot to the family, and to making sure that like my business was right, that I was able to, to get some assets popping, and, and to like do things that are gonna feed the seeds, right? You know, and, and as the fam knows, like I was the first cat in our crew, really, aside from my man Ego Trip, to like venture down that path into parenthood. And like after you do something for 14 years and dedicate that much time and effort to it, other things start to fall by the wayside, you know, and it's very hard to keep a balance to make sure that everything is popping like it should be. So like I had to hyper focus on other places and, 
you got to put down bags in life sometimes to be able to move, right? And not that the dub was a bag, but, like, it's just a thing that, like, fam got it. We got a lot of killers out here that's going to hold it down. You know what I mean? And, and I had to go hold me down. Um, and and it's interesting. Like, in 019, I was with Vice, and we were down here. We was in Miami. We spent a couple of days together in Wynwood. And it was the first time that he and I had really got to, like, really check in on some, like, yo, what's really good with you? And, like, have off-screen moments, for lack of a better terminology. And, you know, he's like, what's up with the music? Like, why are you not doing that? Like, I got the studio. I'm in the idea factory. I'm working with Omar Ox. You know what I'm saying? We working. And, like, I lost the, like, not the fire, but I just didn't feel, like, hungry for it no more and i had like started to fulfill that bucket with other creative endeavors and other things that i've been working on and initiatives um and so when he transitioned that resonated with me and it really stuck with me and then i found myself personally going through a lot of loss in other areas of my life and um i found myself like reeling like falling and then falling and like looking for who i was again and looking for things that could make me whole again and, and places where I will be able to like refine and rediscover myself. And the one thing that had always been there consistently and that I could control and that was my own was the music. Yeah, you know I mean, and maybe it would be the only thing. Um, you know, I you know, it's a team and it's a family that helps me to make the thing real and to like execute on it. But the writing and the like ideation and creating melody and and like that shit emanates from me, Brody. So, like, I had to, like, say to, you, to myself, like, yo, that's who you are. Like, you you are always going to be that. And if mm. you're not exercising and flexing that muscle, you're not truly yourself. And you're not really being yourself. You're almost, like, hiding from yourself and filling it with, like, this, this lie about, oh, I got to work hard and do all this other shit to make money for other people and to, like, pay our mortgage. But when in fact, like the only thing we really owe ourselves in this life is to like to be our true, unique, one of a kind selves and to fulfill and to pursue that to our greatest ability. So I had to like pick up the pen and pick up the music again. Um, and I forget the question, but honestly, uh, I think you answered it and then you just went way further with it. And it's really yeah. great. Yo, I like what you're saying at the at the end here, too, because it ends on such a cool note like you. Real life shit kicks in. You had to prioritize that to ensure that the people around you are in a good place. That's actually like yeah. super important. Like a lot yeah. of people, people who don't do that end up in bad places in their forties and fifties. Is what I'm learning as I get older and see people hit. Their no, front. I'm a I'm a living testament to that. Right? Is because like you you start to go out and you do all of these things that you think you need to have to do. Mm. Did he freeze? Okay, that's what happened there. Uh, right? You okay, you're back with us. Perfect. You definitely froze for a second there. So all that to say, like, um, I felt like last time I saw the bro, he was telling me, I know who you really are, and I, and I know even more than you might know what you truly need and you need to be doing this even just for yourself as a human 
Mm. And I found a way to escape and avoid that. And his transition was a, like almost a final like wake up reminder. Like, no, like you got to be who you are, bro. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of other gates and chambers that I went through to get to that place. But like, if I do anything, I got to make sure that that eye to eye legacy and that vice versa legacy and that music, you know, that that we started, that journey that we started together keeps going mm. and that it goes all the way and that it has resonance and that we truly do initiate new styles amongst the negligent industries trouble you because ain't shit changed. And so I have a, a debt to Brody and I have a debt to myself to fill. And so I went in and I did, you know, 52 joints and um, I got 13 cooking, ready almost to go. I've been putting out the Artist of the Ages mixtape because I felt like I had to, I'm a new artist again. So I have to give you context of who this guy is. Mm. I have to show you like everything from the first record that I recorded solo all the way through records that I'm not going to release until 2022 so that you can see glimmers and specs and you can start to see the composite of who Prolific One is, you know? Uh, so that's kind of like how the Artist of the Ages thing came together was like, I'm a new artist, bro. I, I have to treat it like that. So I have to give you some kind of product. I got to give you some kind of sampler so that you know where I'm at and who I am and where I'm going. That It's really good. I also like the Three Hearts song. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and Yo, a lot of pain, Brody. You know what I'm saying? Like, And that's why I said, like, beautiful, sexy sadness and all that, right? Is because... I, my all my music is personal. Everything is about the human condition, and I know that if my heart is broken and I'm dealing with like loss of family, loved ones, you know, children, etc., other people are having these similar situations, and they not might be able to articulate it in the same way that I can. Mm. But if I'm honest about who I am and what I'm going through, and I'm giving that up, and I, and that's my offering, that's really ultimately as an artist all I have to give. It's not vapid records about how dope I am or how I'm going to just kill some shit or like how the party is great. It's about the human condition and experience and my human condition and experience. And I find that any music that is timeless and classic, that's where it derives from, the heart and the soul. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I look for that more in music than a lot of the other stuff. I mean, sometimes a good party record's a good party record, but like... Yeah. There's something to like feeling pain through music that I've always loved and been attracted to across all genres. So hearing that done well with that authenticity and that like just sincerity to the delivery and everything, it's nice. And then you can compare it to like how like intense your younger work is. Cause I have heard that yeah. three Kings project. I have heard a few things that you've done from that time, just in looking into big zoo and whatnot. So, um, yeah. it's really like, it's just cool to see that you're still with it. I saw your performance on the Sunday night Zoom call where you had like three cameras set up and it was lit. It yeah. was like tight. Yeah, it was bro. like well done. And the way that you're even just utilizing the Zoom to create that kind of a set and have the switcher person make it all. Like, I'm like, look at you go, man. You're adapting proper and you're doing it like, to, you know, already setting a standard to follow in this current fucking era. And it's, it's blessed to see that. Yeah, I appreciate that, bro. You know, and like, like ultimately, um, everybody in our family has different things to offer. You know what I'm saying? And what I have to offer is myself. You know what I mean? My experience, like I said, and 
and we all have to lead in our own ways. And for me to lead the dub and the fam right now, for me, it feels like I got to be a dope fucking artist. You know mm. what I mean? I got to put out music that resonates. I got to put it out in a, a professional way. I have to collaborate with other artists and bring attention to myself, but bring attention to the fam through those channels, right? Because, like, I, I, the way I think about it sometimes is, like, people know Pac, and then they know Death Row, maybe. Or people know Cube, and then they know N.W.A. Like, there has to be some, like, breakout person that connects you to the movement, right? So if I could go and I could collect people and connect them and bring them back to the movement, then we all going to eat. Mm. And we all going to, like, grow from that. And if I could put together a polished professional product, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, artists are product and what they put out, then that raises the quality standard for what we do as a collective. And it also shows fam like how we should be moving out here. And so like my level of involvement may, you know, waver, change and, and like I might not be doing pro like program management and things that I might have done at one time. But by being the best prolific one that I could be, I'm always dub and people, you know what I mean, find a path to the dub through me. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate Facts. that. <clears throat> Facts. And I even like the way that the sun went down and made it all a perfect setting. <laughs> yeah. Like it has almost a poetry to it. And for that, like I really thank you for coming through. I really appreciate you you yeah. taking the time. Like and you're like you know what? I wanna thank you too, real quick, pro. You know what I mean? Like, yo, for many, many years, you know, like how the relationship has always been with us. Like I've always had nothing but great love and respect and admiration for you. I mean, you know, the whole family, period, you know? Like, it's not right. like, you know, I'm not, like, like excluding, you know, but I have a particular relationship with each one of you, right? Like, yeah. to the point where, like, that's where the joke came from of, like, you know, Zoo being the responsible mom, right? Right. Because I yeah, look yeah, at yeah. you guys as my parents, you know? <laughs> like, I look at you as, like, the irresponsible dad. <laughs> so I'm saying I got there's somebody got to be the disruptor, right? Yeah, you know? you know, and 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 Zoo as like the responsible mom, you know, and <laughs> and and Vice's and Vice was look like Vice was like the cool was like the the cool uncle that 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 would be with you in the shits, like with yeah. you with you in the shits, and when you guys come out and maybe say something, he'll just like look at you and be like, yeah, yo, for real. <laughs> Like, and you're just like, wait, but you were just here with me. You were just... You, right. You were there, too. But, you were there, too. <laughs> but, like, you know, that, like, I appreciate you all for each one of you your relationships. You? you know what I mean? Like, you're all You want me to pay men. for it? And I just wanted to thank you, bro. You know? I just wanted Yo. to thank you and tell you from the bottom of my heart, I have much love for you. You know what I mean? And I was looking forward to, like, getting to know you better. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, sure. the same way yeah. I'm, I'm looking for, like, yo, like, there's no secret to this shit, right? Like, it's like, yo, like, dead ass, like I said at the beginning, right? Like, Holden's nice with it. And I'm also like, yo, these are the people that I want. And I'm playing favorites. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it is what it is, you know? Yo, like, yo, you know? I love y'all, like, man. I appreciate, and, I appreciate the program. You know, I've watched numerous episodes of it. And I think it's great for us to, like, be able to have this kind of platform, to have these kind of conversations. 
not only to educate people about like New York City hip hop and all these different regions and all of that, but just for everybody to say their piece and to like give folks insight into like what's happening behind the the artistry. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Nah, I'm good. And that this this is all thanks to you guys, though. You know what I mean? Nah, it's true. Like because... once again, like bless up to EO Dub and bless up to the creators, the founders, the the like, you know what you the, created. The gods, you know. It's like what you created to this day has impacted my life. If you think about it, like in what universe am I sitting here doing this if it wasn't for the dub? And like I said, bro, when we first started this thing, you know, that's that's love and that's a higher power and a different energy that I don't know if we know how to articulate yet. So love to both of y'all. You know what I'm saying? I continue to, to, to hope that you guys rock this show every week, have dope artists, have people on and keep it pushing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because it's necessary and it's not just um, in vain. It's a community service y'all doing. So, yeah, you know, keep giving back. That. Thank you so much, right. honestly. And appreciate everyone right, watching thank you. too. Thank you for coming in and giving, giving Yo, information. Follow us. me at Prolific One. Yeah, yeah we, Go to we, my absolutely. website, prolificone.com, or we'll punch your mother in the face. Definitely go there and check out the stuff. You got to hear the mixtape of Vino. <laughs> I just, I'm, like, oh, I'm moving past that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say at this point. You just take what it comes, yeah, right? My mom? But it's like... Oh, that's a hyper threat that's a hyper threat <laughs> uh, no but thank you for real but also everybody watching because uh yo shouts to bonnie she just said shank you <laughs> yeah. yo, bonnie's serious the more bonnie talks Hello, to like, bro, bro, people bro. she gets yo, she more uh, she's embracing her inner violence um bro, that was dope but thank, thank you all guys. for like watching that who are watching it live on the different platforms make sure you follow end of the yes. week so Yo, youtube.com slash EOWTV. Make sure to throw a subscribe there. Make sure to go. And and everybody watching this in the future, too, thank you. The follows and likes and all that good stuff. Because, yo, it's really cool for y'all to be here whenever you gave us your time like that. We appreciate you in total and all that good stuff. So, on that note, live long and prosper, everybody. Vice versus forever. And I'm going to start the raid on my side. So... We can end that. Sure.